When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network, if you dare. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The Casebook of Justice and Dixon. The Case of the Legal Eagles, Part 1. The name is Justice. Jack Justice. It has been said more than once, in terms more poetical than I was likely to muster, that the heart wants what it wants. This is true enough as makes no odds, and not the sort of thing which requires a lot of introspection. Where it tends to run into a certain amount of trouble is when one or more hearts want things that are mutually exclusive, if not downright contradictory. It is from this conundrum that a thousand ships are launched, that enterprises of great pitch and moment their currents turn awry, and from which private detectives are often gainfully employed to sort it all out. As an example that leapt to the top of mind on this grey morning, with the cold rain pelting against the window panes in the mighty world headquarters of Justice and Dixon private investigations, what my own heart wanted most of all was to have remained under the covers within the sanctuary of a certain marital bungalow with someone soft and nurse-shaped who had been working a week of nights and had been much missed in all that time by yours truly. This was at odds with the wishes of my partner's shriveled icy heart, which wished resolutely to remain in business for some reason, which eluded me, and desperately needed the steely resolve of the company's most experienced investigator to ensure that result, whether the girl detective cared to admit it or not. For today, we were in that rare state of grace of having a third human in the room, who sat dripping all over the second-best chair in our parlor, under the watchful and suspicious gaze of King, the crime-fighting dog deluxe, whose own heart wanted nothing more than to maintain the uninterrupted occupation of the very best chair, whatever some interloper may wish to the contrary. The interloper in question was a man of medium build, which I often tend to estimate a little higher than some on account of the fact that I am a fair-sized side of beef myself. He said his name was Eugene Simmons, which could very well be true, as people tend to assume pseudonyms of a more screen-idle sheen than that. His coat now hanging above our radiator, was older, though respectable, and his suit was new, if cheap-looking and disheveled by the rain. His hat was a largely shapeless affair, but that also was a product of the weather, and besides, I was in no position to cast dispersions in that regard. He was a man, taken for all in all, and I had looked upon his like more often than I could possibly recall. The one thing that stood out was a faraway look in his eye, the kind that brought both trouble and legal tender to our door in equal portions. This one had a heart that wanted something, and if I wasn't careful, he just might tell me what it was. How do you take your coffee, Mr. Simmons? I asked, getting right to the meat of the matter with my incisive questioning. Simmons seemed to come to life at this, and he smiled for the first time since making his entrance. I would be glad of a cup, Mr. Justice, he said, and even more so with a bit of sugar. I distrust people who ruin perfectly good coffee by putting other things that were not coffee into it but it never seems like the right moment to say so. 
and Trixie was glaring daggers at me in advance, just in case I did. So I filled a fairly clean cup with the, with the reasonably fresh contents of my cherished army surplus percolator, ruined them as requested, and handed them over to my prospective client in silence. Sometimes detecting was all about what question to ask and whom to ask it of, but it was surprising how often knowing when to shut up was an even more vital skill. Clients spent a considerable amount of energy screwing their courage to the sticking place before they crossed our threshold. Sometimes the best course of action was to shut one's trap and watch that unravel. How can we help you, Mr. Simmons? my partner asked. Trixie had never learned any skill that involved shutting up, and I had told her so on multiple occasions. She had her notebook at the ready, a new crisp page pressed open, her favorite pen clutched in her not particularly delicate paw, and enough leg on display to light up Chicago, ensuring that whatever Eugene Simmons had come here to say, it would be a few minutes before he remembered how to say it without biting off his own tongue. "'What brings you to town, Mr. Simmons?' she asked again. "'I... Uh, I don't know what you mean,' Simmons stammered, thoughtfully proving my point. Well, uh, "'What makes you think I'm from out of town?' Trixie smiled, what she no doubt thought was a winning smile. I'd like to say something very Sherlock Holmes like the scuffs on your shoes, she said, but it was nothing terribly clever. You took your key from your coat before you hung it up, and it was on an oversized ring that no fool would choose for his own. It seemed like the sort of thing one might get from one of the city's finest cheap motels, although I am no expert. I nearly choked on the sheer enormity of this lie. Trixie pretended not to notice, and Simmons was ensorcelled by her parlor trick. "'Well, as it happens, Miss Dixon, you are correct,' Simmons said in quiet awe, "'though you can't have seen it for more than an instant. "'Perhaps I have come to the right place.' Trixie smiled and batted her eyelashes just so, which Simmons took as if it were a benediction from a saint, which it surely was not. "'And for the record, sir,' I said, returning to earthly matters, "'what motel is that exactly?' "'The Goose,' he said quickly. "'The Goose? Trixie frowned. If Trixie didn't know it, it didn't exist, although I would never have told her that in case she mistook it for a compliment. Where is that, sir? Uh, Simmons said, I don't have my bearings exactly. I think it's that way. His arm twisted and tentatively poked a finger in the approximate direction of a fourth floor, which our building did not have. Trixie and I exchanged a look. Clients who do not know their own address were a fair-sized no-no but we were almost broke and had nothing else to do but talk to one another, and neither situation was tenable for long. There was an awkward silence. It might not be a goose, Simmons said, flustered. Could it be a grouse? Trixie offered. The red grouse? The sign was red, Simmons snapped his fingers. I, I didn't notice the word. I looked at Trixie. I knew the sign of the flop house in question, and the word red might be easily missed. She nodded and made a note. And the room number? Simmons seemed startled by the question, but he pulled the key from his pocket and found the answer. Oh, 17, he said, looking back and forth between us as if confirming that he had the answer right. I concluded that he was more slow than sinister, but he definitely did not have much of a budget. This also concerned me. "'So you haven't been in our fair city long, I take it?' I said. "'No, sir,' he agreed. "'This is my second day.' "'And where were you yesterday if you weren't hiring detectives?' I asked, running cold water to refill the coffee pot. 
I was at the public library, Simmons said, trying to do some detecting myself. Trixie stretched a little at the mention of a library. If she was a cat, she would have purred. Were she not a private eye of no worse than average immorality, she might easily have become the world's naughtiest librarian. I dumped the grounds from the basket and rinsed it thoroughly. And I beg your pardon, where are you visiting from? I asked casually, as if it were not important in the least. Columbus, Simmons said, as if startled once again. Ohio? I offered. Indiana, he corrected. You came in on the train? Uh, the, the bus, he said with a shake of his head. Tuesday. Is that important? In this line of work, Mr. Simmons, Trixie said warmly, we don't know what is going to be important until it happens, at which time it is ever so much easier to already know the answer. But if you would like to cut to the chase at this point, you can start by telling us her name. Whose name? Simmons blinked. The woman you're looking for, I said, scooping grounds into the basket, and before you ask, you are obviously looking for a person, because the next most likely thing you could be trying to find is buried treasure. And in all my years as a detective, it has never been buried treasure. Except that one time, Trixie offered unhelpfully. Except for that one time, yes, I agreed, but it is usually not. This is true, she nodded. And since your trip to the public library did not result in a successful conclusion at the hands of the city directory, I can only assume the last name is not what it once was. That's a common lament where ladies are concerned, and not so much for gentlemen. To say nothing of the fact that it has been raining both cats and dogs since the day before your bus arrived, I said, piling on. And will you just might come in from one of the country's many Columbuses to find your great-uncle Wentworth, or an old army buddy? You would probably not risk pneumonia in the process. But, faint heart and never won, fair lady... Did it. So what's her name? Trixie smiled once again. Simmons was astonished. I, I must say you are both quite remarkable, he declared. I certainly seem to have come to the right place. Neither of us said anything to that, since we had asked a perfectly good question and no one had thought to answer it yet. It took a moment for Simmons to catch up, but when he did, he seemed mildly embarrassed. Uh, her name is Wendy. He admitted, shifting in his seat. When I knew her seven years ago, it was Wendy Howard. I don't know what it is now. You knew her in Indiana? I asked, trying to build a little momentum. Yes, Indianapolis, he nodded. We were... Well, <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. I, 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 I'm trying to find her. Is that enough? I shook my head and said nothing. Trixie smiled and shrugged as though deferring to me, which she had never done, not even once. We only knew one another for a short time. Seven years ago. There was never really... Nothing ever happened between us. I was... I was married then. It was impossible. It, it was... Well... It wouldn't have worked. But there was something between us. Uh... Spark... I've never been able to put it out of my mind. I realized I was likely to regret it my entire life if I didn't see her again, even once. I was fairly certain she had moved here shortly after... After, after, after the time we knew each other. I had heard there might be a man involved. There often is, Trixie agreed without hyperbole. But since things ended with my wife two years ago... I haven't been able to stop thinking about what might have been. So I closed the store, got on a bus, 
and quickly realized that was all I knew how to do myself. Boy, but, but, uh, will you help me? Maybe, I said grimly. Uh, uh, you, you, you don't want the case? He seemed surprised. Oh, we'll take the case, I corrected. We just might not help you. I don't, I don't, I don't understand, Simmons said, a flash of anger in his eyes. What my partner was trying to say, Mr. Simmons, Trixie interjected before I could make things even worse, which had been my plan, is that these things are rarely as simple as they sound. There's a chance that Wendy Howard doesn't live here at all, or that we might not be able to find her. That does happen from time to time, and all we can promise is to work hard and do our best. That's more than fair, Simmons nodded, mollified. And further to that, sir, the girl detective added carefully, in cases like this, we believe that people have a right to not be found. Especially women, I added for greater clarity. She may not share your feelings. She may have moved on. She may be agreeable to saying so to your face, and she might not. If she chooses to remain lost, we will not reveal her to you. Trixie was warmer than I, but no less inflexible. And we get $39.99 a day. Plus expenses, I said, because it was true. Plus expenses, Trixie agreed. I, I, I'm, I'm paying you to find her. Simmons seemed mildly outraged. No, sir, I countered. You're paying us to look for her. There's a difference. How, how, how do I know that you even looked? How do I know what she says? I can think of three detectives whose offices are closer to the Red Gross than ours is, Mr. Simmons, I said, and it is raining pretty hard. Something brought you all this way. Simmons looked defeated. They say that you're the best cheap detectives that money can buy, he said grudgingly. We should get that printed on some cards, I said with an enthusiasm that Trixie did not seem to share. My partner will whip up a contract. In the meantime, is there anything else you can tell us that will help us to get started? An old photo, anything? Oh, nothing like that, Mr. Justice, Simmons said. It wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been appropriate for the setting. The setting? I asked. Why? Where did the two of you meet? In the state courthouse, he said simply. We were jurors together on a murder trial. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the end-of-the-week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of effort. The Mutual Audio Drama Network where we listen and imagine together.